This is a podcast from the Business Times. Welcome to a brand new monthly podcast inspired by the Business Times column Off the Record. I'm Clarissa Montero and I look forward to conversations with editors from across the newsrooms of SBH Media Trust in which we'll discuss the different aspects of the modern media industry from AI to digitalization to managing talents and everything in between. Talking to me today, Jamie Ho, editor of The Straits Times. This is Editor's Talk. In the studio with me, Jamie Ho. Jamie, welcome. Great to have you join us for the first episode to kick off this new series. Thanks, Clarissa. Glad to be here. It's been nearly half a year since you came on board as the new editor of The Straits Times. Prior to your arrival, many questions were asked about what would be needed to make The Straits Times future ready. Where did you start? I started with just getting to know the newsroom and letting the newsroom get to know me. The truth is not often that you get someone from outside the Straits Times newsroom to lead it. And I understood that it was therefore big shoes to fill. Uh, It was a very big and very complex newsroom to understand. And the only way for them to get to know me was seriously for me to speak to as many people as I needed to. Sometimes very intense. There were days in my first weeks and even till now when my days are non-stop meetings and talking to people and understanding how they work. I've enjoyed it immensely after five months or so. Here we are. We've done a few changes, but I'm quite optimistic. The first time we looked outside of the organisation for an editor of The Straits Times. That makes it exciting because being the first, everyone's watching you. You also have the opportunity to do different things that weren't expected because you're coming from the outside. Actually, the expectation is you're going to do it differently. Yeah, I hope at the very least I bring sort of a fresh pair of eyes Mm -hmm. uh, to make changes, not for the sake of changes, that's the worst thing to do, but to really understand where the organisation, the newsroom, the culture has evolved over all these decades at least and then see what really works and how else I can contribute just by basically unleashing the creativity, the work ethic that already exists within the newsroom. All right, now let's talk about public scrutiny. Okay and public perception. Mm. These are tough things to actually consider in your role. Lately, SD has been in some instances harshly judged in what it has reported and not reported. How are you dealing with this feedback and this criticism? The Straits Times is a national institution. It's been uh, here for hundreds of years and I just realised through a little bit of checks myself that it's actually older than the New York Times. We're very proud of that. And obviously, it looms large in the public sort of perception. Everyone has their view on the Straits Times. And it's a responsibility that we hold close to our hearts and we respect the views that our audiences have. The thing about the Straits Times is because it looms so large, everyone will have a perspective, everyone will have a view. We respect that entirely. I've come to understand why that is the case. I previously only looked at it from the outside. And being from the government in a past-past career, now a journalist in the last 10 years, I I really do get a good grasp of where we stand. The truth is this, we do our best from day to day, make the editorial decisions that we have to, and then let our work speak for itself. And hopefully when the final reckoning comes, people will have a balanced view and honest view as to how we've done. It's interesting that you brought up your previous role in government, government media relations, some say mouthpiece of the government. How, moving forward, do we juggle these various relationships? You know, the government has their expectation. 
but we've got our integrity to worry about as well, and we've got a duty to the public to inform. With all of these different relationships pulling at you, how do we help ensure that the media, and specifically the Straits Times, is a trusted and constructive institution in Singapore? So going to this point on the government, I would like to think I understand a little bit how it works. Sure. And I've thought about this quite a lot as to how this perception has come about. All of us know that the Singapore political culture, our society has evolved in a very unique way. It's very unique to Singapore in the sense of just how big a role government plays in the day-to-day lives of all Singaporeans. It's quite unlike anything else you see elsewhere. And therefore, by default, in the way that we report the news, the government usually features quite largely. A couple of weeks ago, all you had to do was have crows in Bishan or crows in Serangoon. And within 24 hours, there was a government view. There was a government agency that responded to it. I don't think anywhere in the world you'd expect the government being able to respond to something so municipal, so quickly. And if you multiply that across the country, across the range of policy issues, across the range of all sorts of societal issues, you can understand how come it is that if you flip open the pages of the Straits Times, compared to most other broadsheets or websites around the world, the government does feature quite significantly. Therefore, I can understand where people come from when they say, hey, why is it when I look at the Straits Times, it's all these government things? Uh, Is it because you're a mouthpiece? Why is it always you're presenting the government perspective? That's just the way it is. And therefore, you know, in terms of our interactions, just as we deal with all sorts of newsmakers, the government is the largest newsmaker. We'll deal with them quite regularly on a day-to-day basis and that's nothing to hide away from. Then that brings into play what our other editorial focuses are and it shouldn't all just be about government policies. And that's something that I've tried to talk to the newsroom about, talking about other stories that Singaporeans may find that matter to their day-to-day lives that may not involve the government. I'll give you an example. If, let's, let's say you talk about education, mm. right? Um, well, the government's in that as well. No, you see, that, that that's where I, I, I beg to differ. Okay. There is education, but there's also education policy. Right. And if you talk about how we educate our children, how we enrich their lives, how we broaden their horizons, how we make them better human beings, education mm. policy mm. is just one part of it. How do we talk to people about different parenting experiences, different parenting philosophies, different challenges, different CCAs that school may do, So all these things are not strictly education policy, but they form a larger picture of what education is for our children. And if we use that lens across other issues, across other areas, I think we will paint a more coherent picture of the overall scene where our children exist in that's quite separate from education policy. I look forward to reading more of that. I hope so. As a Singaporean mother, that is very relevant to me. Now, something we cannot get away from is that leadership drives the culture in any organization. In the case of the SD Newsroom, what kind of culture do you want to forge? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, okay. They've all been trying to get at it. I've tried to be as straightforward as I can every single day, every single meeting, but yeah. What kind of culture do you want to forge? Um, what kind of leader do you want to be? Are you a lead by yeah. fear leader? Are you my door is always open kind of leader? Well, my door is literally always open. Um, but in terms of culture, I'd say three things that I hope the newsroom or any newsroom has One, it has to be driven by some sort of purpose. Journalism is about a purpose. It is a vocation. question is how to make that front and centre. Two, I'm also one where I like the newsroom to act as a collective in the sense that we make collective decisions. The vision is something that we own as a whole and we all stand by our decisions as a newsroom as to all the things that we do or don't do or how we do them. And finally, the third piece of the puzzle is to further 
entrench and grow the spirit of openness and diversity in mm-hmm. being able to have alternative viewpoints. I'm perfectly fine when people tell me, hey, actually, Jamie, I don't agree with this story that we did. But I think all newsrooms need that, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age. It's incumbent on all of us to, as far as possible, let everyone have a voice in this collective decision-making that I hope this newsroom will grow to have. Mm-hmm. And if you put all these three things together in the best possible way in terms of a culture, then you would get at the very least people who enjoy coming to work every day. And that's the least and that's the most that I can ask for. All of us as journalists know that if you see a newsroom which enjoys what it does, it shows in each and every word printed on a piece of paper that's online or in a podcast. Over time, hopefully our audience sees it as well. Mm-hmm. And that this is a newsroom that takes pride in what it does, enjoys what it does. Okay, this is interesting. I, I bring up the question of culture because we also are Asian. Asians in general, as culture, yeah. are not encouraged to argue with the boss. Yeah. Oh, Agreed. boss say, we do, that's it, story over. But as journalists, we are encouraged to ask questions, yeah, to exactly. challenge narratives. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're trained as journalists. It doesn't always have to be hard questions, but there are questions to be asked. Sure. And we can't expect them to say, okay, you can't come back to the newsroom and don't do the same of your boss. It is in all professional settings. The question is how you ask these questions. All of us as professionals can ask them professionally, collegially, and constructively. It's the same way that we would treat all newsmakers as well. Okay, from a personal perspective, how much do you value passion in a young journalist coming into the newsroom? Of course I do. Where do you place it though? Firstly, you're driven by a purpose. Mm -hmm. In order to have that purpose, you must have some passion. Right. It's a hygiene factor. Mm -hmm. You need to have it whether or not it's a necessary and sufficient factor, we'll see. But over time, you need to have that passion. And over time, once you marry that passion with years and years of experience, that's probably the best you can hope for in any journalist to marry those two things. Talent acquisition and retention, reorganisation to build back better. These are some of the questions on strategy and future planning we have for the editor of The Straits Times, Jamie Ho. When we come back, that's ahead. For the affluent and prudent, learn to protect and grow your wealth with BT Wealth editor Genevieve Kwa in her monthly podcast series. Every fourth Monday of the month, with your trusted partner for financial information. Go to bt.sg podcasts to download or listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Editor's Talk from the Business Times. There's that old saying, it's lonely at the top. I would contend that not only is it lonely, but the stresses and pain points of leadership are numerous. In conversation with us today, Jamie Ho, editor of The Straits Times. Jamie, one major pain point for many industries right now, not just ours, is talent acquisition and then talent retention. Do we have a unique problem with this in the newsroom? No, I don't think we do have a unique problem. This is a challenge that all organizations and teams grapple with. Mm -hmm. How do you create the culture that is visible, that people can feel from the outside as well as inside that firstly attracts them and then keeps them? I'm not a big fan of management speak. uh, And I was reminded of this, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's been said, Peter Drucker. If you recognize that, then you also recognize that it is a culture that keeps and drives people within organizations. No matter how good your strategy is, if you don't 
take care of the people who are going to implement this strategy. They're through, not there for your they're strategy. They're not there, right? Or they don't implement it in a way that is fit for purpose. So I don't think, firstly, we have a unique problem in a economy and in our industry that is fast-moving, that values the kind of talent that we have. Everyone's moving. Younger entrants into the workforce have much shorter timeframes than you or I ever had when we started working. For us, six years was a short time. For them, mm-hmm. two years is a long time. So that's something they have to grapple with. The challenge really is for us to keep at those cultures that I outlined. And if we do that well, I'm quite confident that we will keep and then attract people at the same time. What do you think is going to be harder for us moving forward? Attracting talent or keeping it? Uh, attracting them is probably slightly easier. But in any case, it's not so easy as it was last time. In last time, you know, you just had to have a good marketing campaign just have a name behind it and you get people who apply just because oh, of the name. Perks. Yeah, but I think but beyond that, people are open enough, ecosystems are porous enough that people know what your company is like. Right. People will know what your newsroom is like from the outside. People speak to people. So there's nothing to hide. It's entirely transparent, which is good and bad, right? So I look at it positively and I, I would like to believe that if we do what's right in terms of our cultures, you will be able to attract people. In terms of how you retain them, we need to look at things slightly differently. Younger generations do have a different perspective as to what career trajectories are like, mm-hmm. what training opportunities are They're like. They're a lot more impatient as well. And they're a lot more impatient and it's incumbent on us, therefore, to see how best we build upon their experiences in the workplace. I think that's what they want, that's what they desire and I think that's something that we would do well to recognise. And experiences doesn't mean just promotions. Experiences mm. really means opportunities to grow, uh, exposure, doing different things. If not overseas, then within the organization. If not within the organization, different parts of the team. And if we keep our eye on it as bosses and supervisors, within each young person's first couple of years, we can do quite well. And journalism is the perfect place to provide people the kind of different experiences that they want. All right. Now, for an aspiring journalist or even a mid-career switch, what are you looking for in a journalist? For the modern newsroom, it's different from 25 years ago. You just had to write. Um, At the core of it, what would make a good journalist 25 years ago is more or less the same as it is now. Mm -hmm. You need that curiosity, you need that passion, you have that gift of knowing what the story is and the gift of, in a way for us, especially writing. Uh, The rest of it, the peripheral hygiene factors around that, those things also will evolve most of the skill sets are still the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the behaviours and the side skill sets may change. Okay. Is it still a meaningful career option? Of course it is. Even more so, I would say. The question really is how do we keep the values of journalism something that young people value, right? It's a public good, but it is not something that you can always sort of take for granted will be provided by someone. And if young people feel that hey, I'd like to do that. There is a public purpose to it. There's a larger public service, small p, small s to it, and they want to be part of it. Then yeah, that's the core of it, isn't it? There's a lot of focus on our young, how we prepare our young for careers, what support we need to give them. Actually, I think our young are pretty well taken care of. Now, there's a second batch of people that interest me a little bit more, the mid-careers the people who might have been displaced from previous jobs or they want a new challenge, but Mm. they're not 20. Mm. And I take my example. I started out in a completely different career. Mm. I moved to media 16 years ago. Mm. That puts me smack in the middle of 
mid-career So did I. So did oh, I, did right? You? Yeah, I left the government after 16 years and right. uh, I joined journalism when I was 40 years old as well. What do we need to put in place mm. for some of these individuals who think, you know, I always wanted to be a journalist, but I, I didn't mm. get the A's in English in school. Yeah. Are we going to welcome them? Yes, are we, 100%. What are we doing to prepare them to come in? The, the beautiful thing about journalism is that it is not something you need certification for. You don't need a certificate in accounting to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. What you need is varied experiences. And this is why mid-career people are perfectly suited for journalism, right? You need to have lived a long and interesting life to have a view on as many things as possible. And yes, maybe the basic is that you, you love writing. You love to tell a story. But everyone brings a certain degree of diversity to a newsroom. I would like some degree of greater diversity. And that also starts with the kind of people in the newsroom. Mm -hmm. It can't be all older folk like you and me. It can't be all hey, younger folk. I'm not old, okay. So let's just say they're more experienced people. Any newsroom which aspires to reflect sentiments on the ground, reflects our larger community, mm -hmm. needs that kind of diversity, right? And the more people who want to put their hands up and say, let's give it a shot. I don't mind doing this. Whether you're 25, 35 or 45, right. I'm more than happy to consider it. I think that's fantastic. I would send you my resume, but I love what I do right now. Oh, you're already <laughs> you're, you're doing it. So thank you for doing that for PT. The SD Newsroom has undergone a reorganisation. Could you tell us what your objectives are for this reorg? In the larger scheme of things, it is an interesting enough start. But the largest uh, perspective that I, I had in bringing to it was just to inject a little bit more efficiency, a little bit more integration within the newsroom and a little bit more communication across teams. Yes, I did create a new team. It's called ST Now, drawn from journalists across the newsroom to be able to react slightly faster than they would have normally, to work better with each other than they may have previously, and to reflect what's happening on the ground. Not physically, perhaps, but maybe online, on social media, sure. elsewhere in the news ecosystem. So that was a small start. We did that now maybe two, three months ago in February. It's gotten off pretty well, quite happy to say. And the overall sort of spirit of the changes that I have made, not very significant, and changes that I would like to slowly embed within the team is basically just to leverage work processes in a way that are far more efficient, far more collaborative, and push the team along and allow them to work together a little bit more. What I've seen so far has been quite positive. So you done or is there no, more no, to do? No, 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 no. No, not done at all. Uh, the newsroom must always evolve. The question is how quickly we do it, how creative we can be and how we can raise our risk appetite in terms of initiatives, in terms of team structures, to be able to be small enough to, to do things bravely, to say, hey, let's try this out. Mm -hmm. uh, if it doesn't work, it's fine. You know, no one's going to hold us to the fire if it fails. I think that's the whole spirit of having an audience first, digitally ready newsroom is to be able to take these steps when we need to take these steps and not be afraid to try and if you fail you try again mm -hmm. yes it is a newsroom that's older than the New York Times there are certain structures in place but I think there's a lot to work with and if we harness it well the talent's already there the question is how we step by step evolve as our audiences evolve and not ever feel that yes we are here we are set and this will put us in good state for the next five or ten years. Things don't work that way. We just need to be able to keep ourselves on our toes and be able to evolve as uh, things evolve around us. You brought up risk appetite. And one of the things that I recognized is 
because of ST's reputation, because of its long storied yeah, reputation. Yeah, the way you're going, yes. There's a little bit of reticence to be too risky, to change things too much. But the reality of the situation is change is required. Yes. So where's that balance? Yeah, that's the truth of it, isn't it? If you just look at the print product as it is, mm. right? There, there's only so much you can do with the print product. I mean, it is such a storied institution. The print product is, people do have such high expectations, as you said, of what the Straits Times is in print. But that doesn't mean that we can't experiment as well. And I think mm. we can. The question is, obviously, you have your own newsroom to think about. You have stakeholders. You have audiences who are used to a certain thing. Mm-hmm. The question is how you bring everyone along as well to understand that we are changing. We have to change. And if done in the right spirit, and especially if done with the overriding Straits Times editorial vision, mm-hmm. some experimentation on the side is always positive. Evolve or die. Yeah. All right, last one Okay. before I let you go. How do you see these organizational changes you are making benefit the readers? Yeah, good Ultimately, yeah, it's our consumers, yeah. it's all about them. It's two things. What I would like the audience to feel mm-hmm. always is that this is a publication, whether it's online, whether it's in print, that reflects them, that is able to do three things. That is able to inform them at some level of as wide a possible range of information that they need to have as informed citizenry. Sometimes, and it gets more and more challenging, things explained for them. You you see a whole sort of range of studies saying that, you know, people are getting news fatigued. People are avoiding the news because it's just too much. In the Straits Times and our newsroom, must do better in explaining things. It may mean explaining things in different formats. So that's informing them, that's explaining to them. I think finally, the thing that we want to is evolve the newsroom as well as to enrich their lives too. And not just entertain them so that whatever they read, they feel, hey, I've come away better for this. And if there's something within the newsroom that I can help bring that forward a little bit more, provide a little more, just by reorganizing, just by building new teams, just by experimenting with story formats, if I can enrich them a little bit, audience will see it. At some point in time, so long as whether you've just finished reading it on the app or you've just read it in the newspaper in the morning, if you've been informed, if you've had something explained to you that you didn't know previously and you feel, hey, I've been enriched by just this one story that I read. That's a win. Just one story a day that makes their lives better. I think we can all be quite happy about that. Jamie, thank you for being so candid. This has been intriguing and actually for me, given the fact that I have a very young team, mm-hmm. you've given me food for thought. Well, I'm, I'm glad. We've been talking with Jamie Ho, editor of The Straits Times. I'm Clarissa Montero for Editors Talk. Join us next month for more insights from an insider's perspective of the media industry. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.